have a really terribly exciting topic for you. We are going to talk about how to shop for life insurance. And after that, we're going to talk about paint drying. So. <laughs> oh, okay. On that note, Eric, kick us off, right? I think uh, let's start with insurance company structure. What have you got for us? Yeah. And how do we spice this enough? So yeah, there's there's two broad topics when it comes to sort of figuring out insurance and two two basic insurance structures that are they're actually really important for you. One is what we will call a mutual carrier, and the other would be a stock owned, a stock owned carrier. And so in a stock owned carrier, there are two people that are that are really important in the structure of the insurance company. There's the stockholders. And that's the first layer of, you know, basically who the insurance company cares about, the people that are paying their bills. And then the second layer of that is really the policy holders. And so they, those companies have a tendency to think in terms of quarters, not in decades, because they're, they're trying to make good earnings per share. They're trying to get a good rate of return for the stockholders. And then the second category is really what we would call a mutual carrier. And in that case, there's really only one layer. The stockholders and the policyholders are the same people. And so those tend to be thinking in terms of decades, the, the policies or their uh, performance are thinking in terms of decades because they don't have to meet an earnings per share report every quarter. And so they tend to be slightly more stable, if you will. Um, and I, I have a high preference for one versus the other. I, I like the mutuals better because I, I hope to live a long time and those policies and those companies need to be in business for a long time. Well, and I think this goes specifically to what type of insurance you're buying as well. Um, if you're point. just looking for a short-term policy that's going to cover you for a set period of time, this, this part of the conversation may not matter quite as much, but right. I think what we want to do today is really focus on if you're looking for permanent insurance, what are some things that you need to know, right? And, and yeah. with what you just said, I'm going to book into you here for a second, because I know you <laughs> love it when I do that. Um, but I think one of the things that's really key is that you have to think about who the primary obligation is to, right? Who, if you follow the money, it's amazing what frequently shows up. And so if you think about a stock owned company, the primary obligation for profit in any company is to the owner. And so in a stock owned company, the owner is the stock owner, the shareholder, Correct. right? In a mutual company, the policy holder is the shareholder. So the obligation is to the policy owner. So if you're, if you're looking for, you know, a company that's highly leveraged that, you know, is going to keep term prices down, occasionally you might see a slight price break looking at a stock owned company just because they have different reserving requirements and they're looking at a different product mix. Right. But if you're looking for longevity in a permanent policy, our preference is for mutual insurance companies, just because the leadership has a definite alignment for profits first to the policy owner. So Correct. the way I look at that, it may be more conservatively run in some circumstances, but longevity and existence of the company and the policy are really the primary objectives. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And then you you had talked about, we had this conversation earlier today of, and, and a client had asked you this, guarantees versus dividends. How do you sort of judge an insurance company on that on that side. Right. So I think, I think this is really important here and the way this came up specifically in conversation, and I hope she's listening. So she knows she inspired this podcast. Um, but the, the client asked, you know, 
is there a dividend? What's the, the dividend? And um, one of the primary carriers that we work with actually doesn't report a dividend. And there's a reason for that. And I think part of that is understanding what a dividend is. A dividend technically is a return of premium. So any mutual insurance company is actually overcharging you whenever you are buying a permanent life insurance policy. There's the cost of the policy itself. And then there's the overage, which goes into investments and reserves and really grows that dividend, which eventually comes back to you. So the easiest way to think about this is the way each company calculates their dividend is really the secret sauce. It's a trade secret, it's intellectual property. And because that's frequently very confidential, from a regulatory standpoint, there is no universal way to report the dividend. It can be done based on the gross return. It can be done based on the net. There's a lot of different ways to monkey around with that. And so understanding what's really happening here is key because if you think about it, if I'm buying a policy and I'm just going to use kind of made up numbers here, if, um, if I pay $10,000 in premium and the underlying right. cost is, is 8,000 and I'm very much oversimplifying here, but if I pay 10,000 and the underlying cost, uh, is eight. And then at the end of the year, they return that extra two to me in the form of a dividend, right? If I paid 10 and they return me two, they can claim a 20% dividend. Now let's look at right. a different carrier. Maybe they charge $12,000 for the same policy that costs eight in terms of administration. So at the end of the year, they give me back $4. Well, they get to claim what, a 33% dividend? So the underlying policy is the same, but they charge me a larger amount for it. And then they're giving me more money back. When you look at that, they can say, we have the highest dividend in the industry, that doesn't necessarily mean that I'm getting the best deal for my policy or that I right. have the highest internal rate of return, which is the only real way to measure what you're getting. And even with the internal rate of return, I think you have to be careful because it encourages you to really shop by illustration. And yep. even the illustrations can be doctored to some degree. So every, every mutual insurance company on a whole life policy by law can only illustrate uh, the dividend that they are currently paying, but there are some games that they play even with that in order to gain market share. So Eric, do you want to talk about that? Yeah. So they, they have to report what they're earning right now and then assume that for the next 10, 12, 40, 50, 100 years out, it's going to be that number. So if they're earning 4% now, they get to assume that it's going to be 4% forever. If they're earning 30% now, they get to assume it's going to be 30% forever, right? But they can only report what they're actually earning. Not to bookend you, but to bookend you. <laughs> um, but the problem is, is that if they kind of work the numbers around and they kind of pull some of their returns up to today and show that this year is a, a higher, a sort of an anomaly rate of return year, well then, because they're actually returning it that year, they get to show that all for the next future years, for the next 40, 50, 60 years, they're going to have that same rate of return, where in reality, what they did was just kind of work the math a little bit, monkeyed around with some of the returns so that they could show that return in that particular year. But it has no real bearing on what's going to happen in the next six months, 12 years, 30 years. Right. And so it's, and a, it's a game to get market share on that side. And I remember seeing this, actually, we had this come up in a competitive situation yeah. where a client was being shown some illustrations for another carrier and the internal rate of return on the projections for a whole life policy they were looking at were higher than 7%. 
And right. I remember looking at that going, how on earth is this happening? Because if you look at what bonds were returning a year ago, it certainly wasn't 7%. And you got to right. figure in there's some administrative costs and running a business in there as well that really maybe would bump the need up to almost a 9% rate of return in order to do that. And so looking at fixed return vehicles over time, showing that as a sustainable return is maybe a little bit unrealistic. And so, right. you know, I think one of the things that you have to look at is are the returns you're looking at when you look at the illustration reasonable for the environment that you're in? Because it's just like any other type of insurance. If somebody's trying to move into a particular market, they might decrease their prices, right? right. Here, what might happen is they pay out more of their reserves versus holding it back. And so there are certainly some companies in today's environment that are holding back dividends. So they have a larger amount of funds being invested as interest rates are right. starting to go back up. But then there are other companies who in anticipation of interest rates going back up are paying higher dividends right now in order to hopefully gain market share. So understanding that these games are happening, I think is very important. And what I would actually go to say even beyond this is that it's important to look at the guarantees that are um, being contractually set in place for any given right. policy. Up until um, about the end of last year, uh, insurance companies paid out a, a guaranteed 4% gross return before the fees and all of that on a whole life insurance policy. But right. because of the legislation changes uh, last year, everybody kind of revamped the policies and on new policies being issued, the guaranteed payout rates can range anywhere from two to 4% and then the dividend on top of that. So one way that a company could claim to have a much higher dividend is by lowering the guarantees and then right. more of the return is coming out through a dividend. And so just because you hear the words, a dividend is really high, that doesn't necessarily mean that the overall return is high or that the contract is built more in your favor. Right. Because a guarantee is a return of premium and it's not a guarantee in future years. Right. The, the dividend is saying you're, you're projecting that that's going to come true and the dividends could be bigger, or smaller in any future year. So, Eric, can you talk a little bit about a concept called reversion to the mean? I'm going to make you handle the boring stuff. <laughs> that is my chore. So, yeah, so reversion to mean is sort of a fun deal. Right. And it and it it's this idea that over a long enough period of time. Right. There's sort of an economics joke that over enough time, we're all dead anyway, so what does it matter? But for insurance companies, <laughs> that over a long enough period of time, most we're of the all returns- dead, so what does it matter? <laughs> most of the returns are dead, right? So the returns are going to kind of equal each other out. We all have access to the same bonds. We all have access to the same mortgage rates and treasuries and, and different investment vehicles. And so if I look at a return or a, a portfolio or a or an insurance projection this year from one company, it may look a little bit higher or a little bit lower than another one. But when you look at it over time, because we, everybody, all the insurance companies know how many people live and die every year. It's, they've kind of been doing that math for three or 400 years, right? They all have the same access to the same vehicles. And so over time, it kind of levels out. And as long as you're dealing with good, high quality insurance companies, that the return from one company versus another over time will be about the same. Right. And so there's always going to be these outlying events that may skew the results, but over time, they all begin to equalize and look similar, maybe not right. the exact same, but very similar. And we saw that happen over really the past decade or two, because certainly there were some larger carriers who had instances where they took major investment losses because they made poor choices 
but then some of those same carriers made acquisitions that really, you know, put them back into a state of equilibrium or even slightly ahead, right? Some, sometimes there were people who maybe didn't take the same losses and they made acquisitions, but they've been more conservative through those time periods. The reality is that insurance companies are pretty highly regulated in terms of what they can invest in and how they can grow. And they are all using very similar, if not the same actuarial data to figure out what mortality experience is going to be. And even in terms of how they're underwriting the policies. So you may see a little bit of variance from one to the other, but I actually think this is a good point too. If you're going through underwriting and you're getting a really favorable rating and you know that you're unhappy healthy, you might wonder who else that's happening with, right? I mean, <laughs> right. sometimes we have we have uh, occasions where someone might say, it seems like this is taking a long time and they're being very strict. Well, I'm just going to tell you once you're part of the club and you know that that impacts long-term profitability, you want to you want that club to be exclusive, right? You right. want them to vet people before they come in. So that's Keep actually a sign. Out. That's actually a sign that you're working with a really a good company. And so I would say there's probably what, 10 to 20 good, like healthy carriers, what's one of the ways that you can figure out if your carrier is, you know, worthy of your your savings worthy of your dollar. So there's Mm -hmm. a rating uh, and it's not even a rating agency. It's just a rating calculation called a Comdex rating C O M D E X. And what they've done with the Comdex rating is is sort of a compilation of all of the rating agencies. So Moody's and Standard and Poor's and some of the other rating agencies. And it's attempt to distill down all the different ways to go calculate an insurance company or or to measure it into a number. So zero to a hundred. So zeros are really not a great insurance company. You should never put your money there. (laughs) And a hundred means that out of of a hundred insurance companies, these are gonna be the top tier. And so right. really Highest on that liquidity levels, the most predictability of return. Right. Yeah. Good reserves, the, all, all of the kind of things that you'd want in a company that you're, you're trusting with your future for the next 40 or 50 years. And so really a good rule of thumb is anything kind of mid nineties and up as far as the score kind of 94, 95 and up is a really good signal that that company is, is solid, well-run, good reserves, uh, and and uh, a good company to kind of start with. Embedded by multiple agencies. Yeah, which I embedded think by key. multiple. Yeah. So I think the other thing that I want to hit on with this one too is that um, the insurance carrier that's providing your insurance is very important, but it's important in the same way that buying a good quality golf club affects your golf game, right? And I know this yeah. is kind of a silly analogy, but if I'm a terrible golfer, it doesn't matter if I have the highest quality driver that's on the market or something that's left over from, you know, 1872, it ain't going to make any difference to the quality of my they golf, playing golf in 18. Yeah, surely. Right. <laughs> but I think, uh, once you really understand how to use a driver, when to play it, you know, how to swing it, the, the mechanics of the game itself, then the quality of the driver begins to make a really big difference. And this is where I think the advisor that you're working with is more important even than right. the insurance company. If you've taken a look at a Comdex rating and you're you know, in the top 90th percentile and above, and you feel good about that, then I think the real important key here is, is the policy itself designed in a way that it's going to meet all of your objectives? And does the person who is helping you build out the policy understand things like contract language, how loans are going to affect the policy, 
you know, what other benefits are on there, flexibility, all that kind of stuff. And to, to be completely honest, I think that is an entirely different uh, podcast. What are all right. the bells and whistles? What do you need to look out for if you're buying permanent insurance? Um, but I really think it comes down to advisor first, insurance company second. Those two considerations are hand in hand. Yeah. So if you find somebody who is giving you really good, high quality advice, who understands the build of the policy, all the inner workings has good relationships with their carriers, that's just as important as the carrier itself. Absolutely. Absolutely. So hopefully this was helpful and not like watching paint dry. Hopefully it was helpful <laughs> in your decision-making process. Not like watching it. It's like listening to it because like it's Like listening podcast. to paint dry, right? <laughs> Listen to the sound of silence there, Simon and Garfunkel. All right. So where can they find you, Mary? Uh, They can find me at The Wealth Woman. Um, You can find me on Instagram, Facebook, and also LinkedIn. Yeah. And I'm Economics with Eric on Facebook and whatever the other Instagram. Thank you very <laughs> all the much. social media, all things. the social media we're, things. We're firing on all cylinders today. <laughs> Thank you guys for joining us. We hope you come back next time. <laughs> Thanks.